Well, so I'm German, living in Germany, trying to develop software out of Germany. So a few phrases, words I know so well is, yes, but, but you can't, it won't work. Well, this is missing and, and so on. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Rewrite Tech, the Deconium Developer Podcast. My name is Geraldine DeBastian. And I am Brad Richards. And today's episode, we are deep diving into technology for healthcare, in particular in care for the elderly, together with the CEO and founder of Lindera, Deanna Heinrichs. How are you? Welcome to the show. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Thanks for the um, welcome and uh, absolutely fine. So, Diana, we'd like to talk about what, what brought you here today. <laughs> we were, of course, looking through your bio and learned that you started off working at Microsoft. That's how you kicked off your career. Did you always have in the back of your mind that you really wanted to be your own boss? Or what was the point where you decided to leave that sort of safe, big corporation setting? Actually, not at all. I've never imagined um, to get uh, self-employed. Really, there was no no reasoning, no idea, no no push in 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 that direction. I I started off yes with kind of this big American uh, tech company. Had an amazing time, flew around the world, and at some point, um, I was wondering how can it be that yeah that in Europe we only have got kind of marketing and uh, sales organizations, but we are not that good in writing code. And I knew that I mean internet search is taken, um, the office is is taken all by American companies, um, online shopping as well. But it's absolutely clear that when we look into our um, aging society, there will be some some new solutions, and we we tremendously need them. And that was kind of the idea, how to come up with really smart software solutions for yeah for this kind of challenge ahead of us. So you were strategic about it and you saw a market gap, especially looking at the demography of the country that we're living in here. But I learned that you also have a personal connection that was the motivation point for starting your business, which was your mother really caring for your grandmother. If you don't mind, it would be lovely if you want to share where that personal motivation really came from and, and what you were seeing in that care relationship where you thought, oh, there's something missing that could be helped by technology. Sure. I mean, when, when I was in, in Munich, my family, where I was grown up, was kind of 600, 700 kilometers away. So not uh, just a, a day trip back and forth all the time. And at that moment, it started that my, my grandma was really getting older and older, needing care and, and step by step. And I was wondering, or when you open the newspapers, you see so many negative stories on, um, on elder care. So I was wondering, how can it be that in my family, it just works? I mean, there wasn't more money. There wasn't more time. My mom, who was um, caring for my grandma, she was always full-time FTE employed. There was not much time. There was not much money. My, I think my, my grandma is on this kind of lower level of uh, retirement schemes. 
And what was different to, to other families when it's not about time and money? And I really digged as deep as I could in it. So I got uh, days off at, at Microsoft. I worked in an um, outbound care service. Later, I also got a scholarship by the charity of Malteser to also get a full idea of inbound uh, nursing homes. And step by step, I had so many interviews, like you know it from all this kind of design thinking processes and so on. I would talk to to, to relatives, to seniors, to physicians, to care professionals and so on, back and forth. And it was really an iteration over time. So what's really the problem? How to get through the hearts and minds and not just cold facts? And there was one thing when it all became clear. When what you was look that one at, thing? <laughs> yeah, that was fall in age. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's an absolutely taboo. You would never admit that you, because, well, then it's time for an uh, inbound care home, yeah? So you'd never admit also when uh, when you can't hold your, your pee anymore, so when you get incontinent and all this comes together, there are so many taboos involved for insurance companies, faults in age, um, followed by hip fracture, um, staggeringly expensive. Yeah, for care professionals, is so much additional documentation task. So you mm. are happy to avoid it. And of course, it's, it's hurting. It's kind of the beginning of the end. And so it came, it's not that often that in a healthcare system, everybody kind of works towards the same goal. But when it comes to faults, yes. And so that was kind of the beginning. And then it was okay. For me, the solution was very simple and clear. So you pinpointed this as a core problem and really this point of loss of control of the individual. And and so what is the solution that you then designed and came up with at Lindera? Um, so when I talked to physicians, they said, well, um, the problem is actually solved. Not in real life, but in theory, it's solved. You're just doing geriatric assessments for fall prevention. So you, re- you look at the individual risk factors. You look how someone someone is walking. And then um, you also um, get into a discussion for some additional questions on living condition, medications, if someone is dizzy. So everything that you can't get out of the gate. And I said, well... Okay, the solution is simple. It only has to be a very simple solution in terms of software-based. No additional hardware, no additional sensors, no multi-camera system. Just one normal smartphone across all different platforms. And I said, well, I'm not a genius, so the idea must be somewhere in the market. I mean, it's so simple. You just translate a um, geriatric assessment into digital. And I talked to um, Fraunhofer ETWM, so the mathematicians in, in Karlsruhe. And I said, well, it's simple, but it won't work. You can't do, you can't analyze the three-dimensional picture through the normal smartphone camera. It's a little bit like the Galileo moment. Yeah, the world is flat. Mm-hmm. It's not round. And well, 3D is, is deep and it's not flat through this kind of two-dimensional camera. It won't work. You need an Xbox Kinect at least or had multi-camera system, gate laboratory whatsoever. I said, no, it won't work. It's not a mass product. We can't really solve this solution. So I formulated the mathematical problem. I called and wrote to every single PhD candidate in the northern half of Germany. (laughs) And I was rescued. Um, So this is how uh, we set up our data science team and we solved the problem. So now we are the only one in the world who can do 3D. 
and who are as precise as it can be. So we beat the gold standard in science. It's all evidence-based, validated by Berlin Charité. And yeah, and then um, it became more and more fun because we're really working on that problem. And we realized seniors is a nice target group to learn from. So you have to be very easy, your UX, you can't Yeah, you can't just say them, well, you have to do, you have to adjust here, it has to click here. They just need an easy solution. And yeah, with all these learnings, we learned that we can do a lot more with our tech. That's really fascinating with regards to how the innovation happened, because it always starts with theory, and then turning theory into into a practical solution is always where a lot of the massive gaps are. So how do you actually turn this theory and technology that has been discovered, but how do you actually turn it into a usable product for the masses? So so now you have, you've solved this kind of mathematical issue with regards to mapping and tracing with regards to 2D plane to a 3D plane. So now maybe you can explain a bit deeper into what is Lindera. So how did you take that next step? What's the product? How do you kind of approach this problem? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I have to say, or I have to confess, yeah, Brad, we are always looking from Europe into the US because, I mean, you have got such a deep record with MIT and so mm. on to really get out of science and take it into practice. I mean, you're so much encouraged to to have your business on the side and to do something into the real world. And here in, in Europe, I think our biggest cultural flaw is that you only can have one love and this is science and don't don't do anything by the side (laughs) yeah so um i think this is one of the biggest gaps we yeah we have to get over and we can't just source out innovation to fraunhofer and then uh, hoping to to bring something back so Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, what's actually the solution? Um, the solution is when, when you look into practice, as easy as can, can be. Take a video, answer some questions. A video means, I mean, for us, let's talk about 10 to 20 seconds for seniors, mm-hmm. um, even with a stick or with a walker or whatsoever they, they need. In terms of aids, it's 30 to 40 seconds. Just sit off a chair get up from the chair, walk a few steps, get back to the chair, sit down again, and then you answer the question. So in the medical sphere, you would call this kind of timed up and go test. Mm-hmm. And then you answer some additional question because I can't see, well, do you feel dizzy? Do you have problems with your sight? Uh, do you take more than five medications? So, and this is all kind of standardized, but we really, yeah, translate it into, into digital so that it's not kind of really time consuming more than 45 minutes process, but then you can do it in a, in a few minutes. It's, yeah, more or less a, a really nice self service that puts the senior, yeah, in, in the center of the digital attention. So then what, what do you do with the, the information afterwards? So you, you analyze the person does the walk, medication, all these kind of things. What are kind of the next steps afterwards? Do you like get an assessment afterwards? Do you submit it somewhere? I'm curious to see what the next steps are, are of the product. Yes. So I guess that you are much more deeper into all these things of the driverless cars and so on. So, <laughs> so you a know a, a lot about computer vision, uh, convolutional yes. neural networks, uh, deep learning frameworks, backward propagation and all that stuff. Of so course. I'm an expert in all of that. All of that. A full <laughs> okay. expert. You can ask anybody. Don't ask yes. anybody. <laughs> you do not. 
So, um, so that's actually all the ingredients um, we use. So imagine we have got a two-dimensional camera. So we cut picture of this very few seconds into a lot of slices. And then we use convolutional neural networks and we go from there into the three dimension, three D dimension in, in, in looking for the minima and maxima of the pictures. So that we get over that point, you usually have to get some, some reference. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. um, in, in the past, you always had to know how far you are away from the camera. So yeah. what's your point of reference? And based on AI, we got over this point of references in that it's somewhere in the real world and solved it just via our algorithm. Mm, that's super cool. It's funny, I, I built a similar solution at Mercedes, but it was for trucking and logistics. So I think your approach was much more empathetic to the world instead of calculating available space in a tractor trailer is what I was doing. So tell me about your users. So who is this catered towards? So is it, are you looking, so it's currently used in, in nursing homes and, and those kind of areas. So is it catered towards the patients, the nurses, the doctors, um, siblings, sons, daughters, who's it kind of aimed at this product? Well, actually everyone, because, Perfect. um, yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's really, it's a teamwork. And we are so used that what's good for someone in the healthcare system is against someone else. And when we started off, I always felt I have to make it happen for everyone. So I started off with the idea of doing something that you can use at home. Mm -hmm. um, with um, because I mean relatives are the the biggest care service in in every single country. So it should be really autark that yet you can use it with relatives, with your friends. When you get the results, it's not that you just stay at home on your own. There's a lot you have to do afterwards to reduce mm -hmm. your risk. So get out of uh, into the world to the to the professionals to, to work with them. So it's a diagnostic self-service. At the same time, you can use it with your outbound care service, with your inbound care service, with your physician. You can use this after, right after a hip or knee um, surgery. So mm. it's really a recurrent theme in, in, in all these settings. Is it also preventative? Like, so if, do you also, also use it for people that are just also kind of just seeing if there's any issues or uh, problems arising? Um, yes. Yes, yes. So mm. it's diagnostic, it's prevention, it's, yeah, use it mm. as, as you want. Very cool. I mean, you also touched on the limitations with regards to other products and services. So I think this is a big problem in so many different industries around how can you utilize a two-dimensional a two area that needs 3D information. And you mentioned sensors and you mentioned wearables and those kind of things. Was your main motivation around choosing just the smartphone? Was it access? Was it scalability? You know, you could have gone the, the other route of, you know, building a high performance 3D mapping system that could be implemented into the nursing homes and charge 100,000 euros, but maybe sell two a year or something like that. What was the reason why you went the 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 phone app uh, the phone version because like you said in the beginning there were a lot of problems and you were really tackling an issue that wasn't being solved at the beginning so did you ever get discouraged about your approach to how your product was being built um well so i'm german living in germany trying <laughs> to um, develop software out of germany so mm -hmm. one or a few phrases, words I know so well is 
yes, but, mm. but you can't, it <laughs> yes. won't work. Well, this is missing and, and so on. And I'm, I'm a very introvertive. So I just listened and, and picked all that up and was just curious to see when you really listen all the time and take everything serious and into it, can you really still produce a product? So kind of the bar, the challenge was quite high. I'm, I'm coming from software, so mm -hmm. I'm really not a hardware kind of guy. Mm -hmm. And so we, we find our way and it's really fun because with a lot of care professionals, they were so demotivated in terms of what have happened to, to the whole business, to the whole industry in the past. And it's so much fun for us, for the whole team and so inspiring that we really can turn this kind of perception of the industry. And we found out that elder care is a nice niche to start. But we can do much, much more with our technology also for, for younger people. And that's kind of what we are working on right now. And I mean, we have seen for so many years that kind of, that, that innovations are made either in the automotive industry or in space. And then you get a robot into the nursery home without any, yeah, it doesn't make sense there. Yeah. Agreed. And it's, there's no business model behind it it's not it's just it's just not supporting or helping and for us it's it's getting cool that we started off in elder care with all the demands with all the buts and still we we are there and now can use our technology in orthopedics or to correct online workouts and online therapy so there's so much what we can do now mm. i would love to come back in with what you mentioned at the beginning, that you have developed a technology that is unique in the sense that you are the only company able to collect the data in the way that you're collecting it today. I got to have a conversation with Bart DeVitter very recently, a longer interview. He's the founder of a foundation called Hippo AI and is trying to build up a really alternative approach to data collection in healthcare and collecting data sets for future AI use, very much with the idea that open source needs to be the key element of how this data is collected and that all health data should be open. He brought in this example, which I, I really loved from back in 2000, where Tony Baer and Bill Clinton decided that the human genome should be open source, basically, and the search for the human genome should be a collective humanitarian global endeavor based on open source principles and really took the wind out of the sails of so many companies trying to monetize on that. But at the same time, we see now how valuable that was for humanity and that there are plenty of startups and companies building on top of that open source innovation. So I'm going to throw you this kind of a uh, little bit political question in the sense that do you think that the data that you're collecting would be very valuable in that context? And do you think that, would you agree with Bart that we need to be thinking of healthcare data as open data in general? Or where's your sort of ratification of building a proprietary business around it? Okay. So... We all know we have just kind of survived the election in the US and we have learned <laughs> a lot about bias and what it means when just white young people provide kind of the data sets to train algorithm. So what we are doing is we are building a very 
specific, very broad database based on multi-morbid, so multi-diseases, senior, very senior people. And you can't just get a bunch of Parkinson patients into a gate laboratory and get them back into the uh, into their home where they're living all over. We really get data sets from all over in all different rural areas. We are live of the biggest insurance company in Brazil. So it's, it's really broad. And based on this, we have so many ideas what we can do. And we are, of course, when it comes to, to science, are so happy to share it. We are, um, that's also why we work together with Berlin Charité, with a lot of scientists. Because, I mean, it's nice to start off with fall prevention. Next step, we, we want to be kind of, how can you get a, a second opinion, whether you need a hip or knee a surgery? How to recover faster, how to live better with Parkinson or multiple sclerosis? All these kind of diseases need hard facts, objective, body-reported outcomes. So you need your personal avatar as a patient. You need to know it for yourself. But we can learn so much. And I think this kind of way we look at ethics, at uh, data protection here in Europe, we should use and we should collaborate with, with scientists to make it happen. Yeah. So you can, if I understood correctly, like the one uh, aspect is the sort of data sets that you're using to train your AI and where those are coming from. But the, if I understood correctly, other aspect is that in the longer term, as you're operating and collecting more and more data under, of course, the correct data protection mechanisms and depersonalization, you could see this going into a sort of open source, scientifically oriented other projects and a contribution that you could see yourself making in future. Yes, absolutely. That's what we want. We really want to set our worldwide standards with our ideas of, of ethics and, and data protection. And it's, I mean, when you look at every day, it's so nice. It's so inspiring to, to work together with really leading scientists and think about solutions. Yes. I think that's so encouraging to hear because it's, I, I always find it personally quite inspiring to talk to founders as yourself who are basing their business model also on the sort of ethics and values that we want to have represented as a society, which of course, especially in the field that you're in is so important because it's a representation of also how we want to treat, be treated as humans, especially during old age and during times in our lives that are sensitive times. We are talking about these topics also with people come from other sectors, like from the car industry. And, and I feel that there's more and more of a conversation happening around openness and interoperability. So the idea that different solutions also should work together and be seen as something that uh, is compatible or collaborative when putting together our sort of smart home environments or other digital environments for the future. Is there like a network of other founders that you're working with or of digital healthcare specialists? Specialists and where do you try to have these conversations around interoperability? Uh, well, yes, that's really, really broad question. So setting up, well, we founded um, last year, I'm one of the co-founders of the Associations of Digital Health here in Germany. So in German called Spitzenverband Digitale Gesundheitsversorgung. Because there's a whole bunch of really innovative, evidence-based young companies trying to get into the reimbursement system of the German as of every other healthcare system. Interoperability is absolutely a topic coming and going because, well, we are not a fan of yeah, of, of islands or so on. We really want to get integrated into the existing routines, working routines. 
From a Landera side, we have already integrated with the biggest provider of elder care IT solutions like Darn, like uh, CNS, Managing Care, like Connext Vivendi, coming more and more in, in, into the picture so that we are really Well, I mean, we, we really have got a low ego. We, it's not about our app. It's not, you can also send us the, the video um, via a USB stick. I don't care about it. It's just the fastest way to get it via the um, applications through the app stores and also the most secure way. And for us, interoperability has always been kind of, uh, yeah, a standard. As we know, it's our solution is, is, there's no parachute in our app. So we won't solve the whole problems in elder care. We are just one part of the whole solution. And when it comes to openness, I mean, when you look at our website, there you can find our technology blog where we really explain our AI, including all the code. I mean, our solution is patented. At the same time, we want to show that we know exactly how our algorithm works. It's not a black box and we open it up to make clear it's a lot about responsibility. We know and we have to step by step take everyone with us and to explain it. So I understand you're in the a part of the board of the Spitzenverband Digitale Gesundheitsversorgung. And I want to get back to what you said in the beginning of our conversation, which I understood as saying it's tough being a digital innovator in Germany, especially in the healthcare sector. So I am wondering how the conversations you're having are perhaps changing now also during the time of the corona pandemic. We had this nationwide hackathon, so many just really white spots in the digitization map of Germany were becoming really visible through that, like things that for, I think, any any sort of normal person out there were quite shocking to learn of just how non-digital our health systems are working. How do you see this momentum that you have now during the pandemic? Do you feel those conversations are changing? It's slowly changing. <laughs> um, I mean, still before the pandemic, we had a huge waiting list of inbound nursing homes and we still have got a huge waiting list. I mean, we, we now have got a lot of nursing homes live. So with partnering insurance companies and really forward looking partners who have got an idea that we I'm, I'm deeply into the AI space and that the time is now that we must build the databases and not just wait that anyone else in the world is kind of doing it. And when we want to solve the solution, it's not just about contracts and, and doing the contracts all over again, discussing of one or two care homes. So sometimes I really get furious when I must discuss to for, for one care home, we should be um, financed for one of our 16 regions and they want to have exclusivity. So mm -hmm. this is so, I mean, AI works for masses. It's really about data, generating data, um, generating a database with which an and then I can learn. There are so many, so narrow-minded. Um, I really have to breathe deeply in myself <laughs> and, and, and let it go um, and read a lot of books on the kind of, yeah, how to, how to find your own balance because it's, it's so never-minded as a Germany, as a Europe. And I, I really hope that we can get beyond it a little bit faster as we are doing it now. So... Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, one step that that also kind of came out of Germany, which was one of the first countries to do so, was that apps can now be prescribed 
by doctors, which is an interesting sentence to say that you can have an app prescribed by a doctor. So it's, it's a huge important step for e-health companies to get their foot in the door with, you know, trusting that doctors trust this application or these products and services. So you as a patient should trust these products and services. I mean, one of the problems with it though, is that, you know, most doctors are not aware or or trained when it comes to these applications. So how do you kind of bridge that gap with your product in terms of upskilling people in the industry and making them aware? Because you, you mentioned before, you have that one problem they want to make it exclusive. They want the data. They want this. They want it all for themselves. But on the flip side, they don't necessarily know what to do with it because this is a whole other world. So how do you kind of balance that with your product that you're offering at Lindera? Mm, two aspects. First, it's not about the app. It's about mm. therapies and diagnostic tools that are delivered in an efficient way. And uh, digital tools can can just help us. So it's not about the app; it's about the patient outcome or what what it does to the to the healthcare system. And I think there we are uh, in a competition to to every pill, to every um, mm. other therapy that that we know for so long. And I mean, it's it's clear whether we look at our own healthcare system, to what's our aging society, to other countries, there are gaps in terms of yeah the treatment that you can get. And it's not just sufficient to have got uh, six sessions with your therapist and then you are on, on your own. It's just not sufficient. So we can do better and we should do better. So back to your questions, how to work together with physicians. It's really a step-by-step approach. So Friday mm. night, Saturday, last Saturday morning, I was all there in uh, in online conferences to talk, to discuss it with physicians. It's really step-by-step, hard approach. We need to provide, and it's totally fair, the right evidence. So marketing is all over scientific publications. That's just the the... Yeah, the trustworthy baseline. Mm. And we are here to, to do that. And I think it's always better than just publish Google campaigns or uh, above the line campaigns to work with, with scientists. If that's the kind of marketing, I'm totally fine. I think it's, mm. it's much better than just printing huge advertisements. <laughs> Definitely. I just want to maybe as a closing question sort of tap into your vision of where you would like to see this to go because what I took away from what you shared with us today you know you said in the beginning about everybody going into care homes in Germany we do we live in this aging society where that's this default mechanism for how we deal with people at old age not having a very family-based society anymore and what I took away from you is that you're in this to give people more agency more autonomy to lead their lives with digital tools do you would you hope to see some of these mechanisms of how we live in old age change because of that in the long term? Mm, I think it's one of my personal motivations. I really spend a lot of time myself thinking about what what is life in age? How many people kind of are lonely? And how we can get kind of out of this kind of age trap. I mean, when we retire at 65 plus minus, I mean, they are at least 30 years ahead of us. Hopefully, Um, yes. (laughs) Yes, hopefully. And how we can stay mobile, live live a safe, mobile, self-sufficient life. And one of my my initial interviews I I had when founding the company um, was with a senior couple from Hamburg. And they said, well... 
Actually, we would love to go on a road trip across Europe. But we can't do that because it's not safe. Because everywhere we are, as we are kind of old, people would can kind of, in, in terms of robbery or, or whatsoever. And I have never thought about this. It's not just about your body. It's it's so much that what what means safety in age. And I I would love that when I'm 70, 80 to be able to go on a road trip. Mm. And that's where I want to go. And it's it's a question about my muscles. It's a question about having kind of enough enough money, the right car, and or whatsoever. But I really want to yeah. I really want to have this society that that freedom is also there in age. Beautiful, Diana. Thank you so much. If you're a frequent listener of the Rewrite Tech podcast, you will know from our Deconium 25th anniversary episode that Brad and I are also big road trip fans. So <laughs> that's a beautiful yes. sentiment to end things on. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was really inspiring listening to you. <laughs> cool. Bye. Thank you. Brad, that's another episode wrapped up. What's coming up for Rewrite Tech? What's in store? We're busy. We're busy these <laughs> next weeks. We're going to be staying along the, the, the same lines of some Berlin-based founders and CEOs. We have Valerie Burez coming in uh, soon next week, our next episode. And after that, we have even more podcasts coming in. And we'll be diving back in in a, in a couple of weeks as well, back into the automotive innovation area with one of the C-levels from Moya, the Volkswagen Innovation area so it'll be very fascinating we're constantly talking to different people from different backgrounds so it was amazing to have you Deanna on here as well and we're excited to continue this podcast so as always, find us everywhere, right, yeah. Geraldine? Yes, find us, find us everywhere. <laughs> but also <laughs> write us everywhere. We have Spotify channel, of course. We've got our LinkedIn, our Twitter channels, where you can let us know who you'd like to see on this podcast and send suggestions, comments, feedback. So we look forward to receiving those and look forward to welcoming you to our next episode as well. Thanks. Bye.